นโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังมังสังขังนมัสสะเธอ this evening I could perhaps speak about how the actions we perform have consequences. So, fundamental lesson in life, and probably I would say the primary task for parents is to communicate to the kids that what you do has got consequences. What you say has got consequences. What you think has got consequences, and and that we're going to inherit those consequences. It's the the chanting that we do regularly. But I'm the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma, abide supported by my karma. Whatever karma I shall do of that, I will be the heir. And all beings, likewise, are the owners of their karma, and as a really essential and a fundamental aspect of our spiritual education. And the fact that uh, a lot of people don't have a very good spiritual education means that, unfortunately, they don't see that there are consequences to their action, and and get up to all sorts of things that later lead to uh, regret and disappointment. I think the reason this came to my mind this morning was, uh, as I was hobbling down the hill with my walking stick in the rain and the autumnal chilly wind, and, and um, not necessarily feeling sorry for myself, but but uh, noticing what it's like with um, my deteriorating left knee and my my pretty hopeless right ankle and. Anyway, I got to thinking about forty-two uh, years ago when I was uh, a twenty-year-old in in New Zealand, and I was living on a farm outside of Hamilton with a group of friends, and and we were uh, enjoying the freedom to experiment with communal living and and having some good times and some not so good times as well, and then. Remembering distinctly how one morning it was probably about uh, August, I would have thought it's uh, like late winter in New Zealand. It was a very foggy morning, and and uh, my brother was visiting Hamilton, and so I thought it'd be nice to go and see him. So I just helped myself to the motorbike that somebody on the commune had bought. They hadn't even paid for it, but um, they'd gone off to work, I guess, in the car and. Left the motorbike, so I helped myself to it, and didn't have a license, didn't have a helmet. It was the middle of the day, but very thick fog, and I just poodled off along this narrow country road into Hamilton, happily anticipating seeing my brother, but then didn't make it. I turned around a corner, and bang! Hit this car coming the opposite direction. Regain consciousness on my way into the theatre <clears throat> to have some surgery to patch up the damage to my 
my leg and my foot and my head and so on, my shoulder. And, and it's just a small thing. It's just like, yeah, going into town to see my brother. But the reality was it was heedless and there are consequences. And at the time, I wasn't into thinking about consequences. I was getting up to all sorts of stuff that 20-year-olds tend to get up to, uh, oblivious to the consequences. Now, all of us here are well past 20, but perhaps we still have some habits of heedlessness, and I'm sure we all have, uh, we could all improve in mindfulness and, and uh, paying attention, wisely reflecting on the consequences of the decisions that we make, the decisions to act, the decisions to speak, the decisions to think, and, and not naively default to thinking it doesn't matter. Uh, that's certainly not uh, the way the Buddha taught. The Buddha pointed out that any intentional action of body, speech and mind, any kama will have a consequence, kama vipaka, and we will receive that consequence. So bearing this in mind and, and, uh, and recognizing that if we do pay attention to uh, the consequence of our actions, well then we just become more responsible people. Yeah, that, um, and also it, it introduces a sense, an element of modesty to our lives. That when we don't think there are consequences, we can easily suffer from hubris and just plough ahead, uh, unaware of how we might be hurting ourselves or hurting others. Whereas if we do have a decent spiritual education, then we don't, we don't believe necessarily in the way things appear to be. Yeah? We prepare ourselves, we, we address this condition of egoity wisely. And so in Buddhism, the, the way we do it is we we take up the refuges and the precepts. Buddhang saranangachami, tammang saranangachami, sankhang saranangachami. I go for refuge to the Buddha. That is perfect wisdom, perfect compassion. Edgeless awareness. Anything could arise and pass through the Buddha's awareness, the Buddha's field of awareness, without any resistance or any stress and no suffering, no suffering as a result. And that's a fitting refuge. So we, we have contemplated that, we've read the teachings, we've heard the teachings, we've heard the Dhamma teachings, and you know, well, this, I'm going to orient my life, I'm going to commit myself to this realisation. I'm not in that place. Yeah. I, my attention falls short of reality all the time. I'm constantly fooled by the way things appear to be. And so as a way of managing this condition, susceptibility to naivety, susceptibility to, to narcissism. Narcissism actually is the most popular religion these days and the most quickly developing. You know, that is atang saranangachami. I go for refuge to myself. My views and opinions are the most important thing. And I'm sure all of us have um, been through that phase and, and certainly a, a certain degree of narcissism is appropriate in an early stage of development and and uh, not demonising narcissism, but when, when that's the 
the focus of our life is that when all of our energy is defined by our, our narcissism, then we suffer terribly. It's a seriously inadequate way of living. My fixed views and opinions, my desires, my aversions are ultimately important. So a, a, um, a decent spiritual education is essential. It's not just an option. It's like, it's like eating a balanced diet is essential. It doesn't matter how clever you are and what superior genes you inherited from your parents. If, if you don't have a good diet, if your diet is missing out on basic elements, then you, you're in for trouble. And likewise, similarly, it doesn't matter what our genetic inheritance is, our karmic inheritance is, uh, and the good fortune about the environment we live in, if we don't have a good spiritual education, then we are excessively vulnerable to being fooled by the way things appear to be. We take our views and opinions and our preferences far too seriously. And, and the result of that can regrettably often lead to a sense of hopelessness or pessimism. And it's always a, I find it always a really sad condition to listen to people being pessimistic as if life was hopeless and, and the cynicism, everybody's on the take, everybody lies. And, but a pessimistic perspective on life is the natural consequence of heedless thinking. You know, you can, we all get hurt in life and things happen and we have painful memories, painful perceptions and, and the realm of relationships. All of us, at some stage or other, get hurt. It's part of the package. It's inevitable. But if we're heedless, we think that the hurt is ultimate. If we're heedless, we misperceive this condition of hurt feelings as something that we should ultimately believe in. But the reality is that there is a cause for the hurt feelings the cause will cease and the hurt feelings will cease. Hurt feelings are not ultimate. And there is an awareness in which hurt feelings arise and cease. What is that? What is the awareness? What is it that knows? Who is it that knows? What is the knowing that sees, that knows hurt feelings arise? Hurt feelings cease. What is it that knows that? Hurt feelings are not ultimate. But if we're heedless, then we don't realize that and we can just dwell on hurt feelings. Because you can get a sort of a rush off feeling hurt, getting angry, indignant. Indignant about being hurt in a relationship, indignant about politicians. You hear a few dodgy politicians speak and, and get indignant about it. And an uninspected relationship with indignation is, yeah, it's, it's something you can get off on. Get a rush from feeling righteous, feeling superior to this this Wally who's abusing the power that he's been elected to exercise, and so we become we can become pessimistic in relationships. We can become pessimistic about politicians, become pessimistic about the environment. Definitely, these days there's uh, sufficient scientific evidence that that over the next 50 years, the, the planet is going to be having a hard time. And uh, all of us that live on this planet are going to have to deal with the consequences. Uh, increasing injustice, increasing imbalance in wealth, in, 
decreasing resources, not enough water, not enough food, climate change, uh, unemployment, all of these issues are are going to increase over the next 50 years. Now, if we're pessimistic, we can see the situation as hopeless. And that's a choice. That is a choice. And, And there are people who do that. There are people around now who are talking about it. It's too late. There's already something like seven or eight billion people on the planet and before too long there's going to be ten billion and that's it. That's the end. And Well, we can choose to be pessimistic, but we don't have to. Being pessimistic is a heedless choice. We don't stop and reflect. What is the consequence of being pessimistic? Does it help? Does being pessimistic help? Does being cynical help? Now, if we're reflecting wisely, if we're mindful, uh, mindfulness and wise reflection, surely if we apply it to pessimism, you say, actually, it doesn't help. Always thinking things are going to turn out bad doesn't help. So just that exercise itself, just by stopping and thinking that, means we can pull back a bit and we can see this habit that's come as a consequence of heedless choices we made in our life. Just that itself already takes a little of the sting out of the heedless habits of the past. And if we do this long enough, if we do this carefully enough, then maybe we start to see that that being optimistic, mindfully optimistic, not naively optimistic, naive optimists are a bit embarrassing. They're not as depressing as committed pessimists, but uh, naive optimists are not necessarily very impressive. But mindful optimists, I find, are very impressive. Mindful optimists are the purveyors of, of hope. Uh, not, again, not naive hope. Naive hope is okay for children and perhaps some for adolescents. But once we've uh, engaged the difficult task of growing up and realizing that we're responsible for the reality of the world that we live in, our psychological, emotional space, this condition that I experience myself to be, we're responsible for this once we engage this task of, of growing up and taking responsibility for this experience, well then perhaps we start to make the intelligent choice of choosing to be optimistic. It's a skillful choice. Now pessimists will of course come out with clever cynical comments about people who are optimistic. But if you look at the planet and, and you see you know, where does pessimism get us? Mm. Yes, it's true. Life does sometimes seem hopeless. It absolutely does seem hopeless. And without sufficient spiritual education, we can fall for the way things appear to be. But if we've got sufficient modesty and humility to recognize that the way things appear to be is foolless in the past... Maybe it's fooling us again. Maybe I'm deluded. Well, it takes a little humility to acknowledge that. But it's true. Why is it that we get fooled over and over and over again? It's the force of delusion. We make the same mistake over and over again with regards to ill will. We think that following our ill will is going to somehow produce some good. But, as the Buddha said, never by hatred is hatred conquered, but by readiness to love alone. This is eternal law. This is the fact. This is a reality. But we don't see that, and we sometimes feel that, yeah, coming out with a snide, nasty comment, a barbed comment, a barbed criticism, 
an arrogant, conceited, hurtful comment to somebody, you're going to get a rush off it. And that's delusion. And there are consequences. We can ruin friendship. We can, in fact, create enemies for life out of such heedlessness. So just because things appear hopeless doesn't mean to say they are. It was only 50 years ago that the blacks didn't even have a, a vote in America. And now we've got a black president in America. And I remember before that first election when I was really hoping that Obama was going to get elected and talking to various Americans about it, they said, no, it's not going to happen, can't happen. These are really smart people. These are really together, well-educated, smart Americans who really believed it wouldn't happen. What they didn't factor in, they weren't up to speed with the consequence of the, the synergy that comes as a result of technology. The mindset of the young people, combined with the effective use of technology, brought about a totally unpredicted result. It was unimaginable. Certainly 50 years ago, the blacks didn't even have a vote. Certainly it was unimaginable. But even a few years ago, it was unimaginable. In Australia, in the 60s, in Australia, Aborigine children still couldn't use a public swimming pool. In the 60s, in some places in Australia. It wasn't that long ago in Australia there was a policy to eradicate the whole race. Well, from this perspective, these days, we obviously see that that's an utterly unacceptable presumption that you can eradicate a bunch of people that you don't like. I mean, that's unthinkable. But it happened. So things can appear impossible, intolerable. Change can appear unimaginable. But if we choose to believe it, that's a choice you make. And often I'm suggesting when it's coming from a lack of wisdom, lack of mindfulness, a lack of wise reflection, then it's a heedless choice. We don't have to make it. We can inhibit that choice. Like, yeah, it really appears this way. It really appears this way, but I don't know that it is this way. We're allowed to feel that it really appears this way. You know, like you, you, know, you want something, you're allowed to feel wanting. It's not like we're not allowed to feel it. Again, if we're heedless, then we're still following the conditioning that that we were given by those who are perhaps not committed to awareness and wisdom. And so we we feel like I'm not allowed to feel that feeling. I'm not allowed to have desires. not allowed to have ill will. We're allowed to feel these things. It's becoming them. That's the problem. Investing in our thoughts of ill will, our thoughts of heedless desire, Investing in our actions of speech, investing in our actions of body. That's where we create the problem. But to simply feel them, it doesn't have to be a problem. So even feeling hopeless is allowed. It's understandable under certain circumstances. Given the confinement of the, the world that we create for ourselves, often it's a perfectly natural response to feel this is impossible. I've been speaking lately several times about the consequence of people using, putting all their energy out through their eyes and their attention is just always going out through the eyes and often constricted to a very, very narrow field of awareness. And as a result, they create a very small world to live in. The world is not big enough for all this tremendous passion and heart energy that they've got and they feel like they're going to explode and sometimes they do. So for many people, it does feel like it's hopeless. But then I would imagine that like when Aung San Suu Kyi was 
incarcerated in a house, a semi-derelict place that it is, uh, in Rangoon all those years, year after year after year, by the, the bully boys. Yeah, there must have been times when she felt it was hopeless. But because she engaged her spiritual discipline with commitment, because she was cultivating mindfulness, because she was cultivating a heart of loving kindness, because she was committed to developing equanimity, she was able to meet the apparent and turn it around. And so when Aung San Suu Kyi came out of her incarceration, did you see an angry lady there? No. Now, of course, the pessimists, the cynics of the world would come up with all sorts of criticisms and suggestions about you know, what sort of deluded mind state she was suffering from. But I would suggest that they were the, the ones suffering from deluded mind states. What Aung San Suu Kyi had done, had, had used her suffering, had used her mindfulness and wise reflection as tools for transformation. Uh, not merely as, as techniques for eradication. Uh, sometimes people do this. They use spiritual techniques as a way of eradicating the mind states and conditions that they don't like. That's what bullies do. We can become spiritual bullies and and just try and get rid of the things we don't like, but that's not necessarily wise or skillful. That's what the colonialists did. The colonialists went out there and just tried to eradicate the natives that they didn't like, that was inconvenient to have them around. At the time, it seemed normal. You know, when, when it, was, it wasn't that long ago that you know it seemed like slavery was normal. It wasn't that long ago that uh, it seemed normal to, that women couldn't vote. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that homophobia was normal. Well, now we see it as a, as a disgraceful form of bigotry. You know, misogyny is, is, shows a degree of unawareness and insensitivity. But at the time, it just seemed normal. And so, similarly, with the world we live in now and all the issues that we have to face, we could choose to be fatalistic, we could choose to believe in apparent hopelessness, but I would suggest that that's heedless. We don't have to choose that. We don't necessarily then take, as again, we don't necessarily take a a naive position of, of hope, but just choosing to inhibit, just to inhibit the habit of grasping at the feeling of hopelessness. We need to feel hopeless. It's necessary to feel hopeless before we realise the consequence of hanging on to the wrong thing. We're not going to feel hopeless if we're not clinging to hopelessness. If we're feeling hopeless, we need to feel hopeless fully. Fully feel hopeless. Whole body-mind experience of hopelessness feels like this without becoming it. Now, the difficulty is that if we haven't had a decent spiritual education, then we don't have an expanded state of awareness, we haven't trained with letting go, we haven't prepared ourselves with seeing the consequence of clinging, and so the feeling of hopelessness arises, and we just cling to that. Our field of awareness collapses, and we become constricted and and lost in hopelessness, and that's is indeed unfortunate. But it's not an obligation. It's not necessary. It's a heedless choice for which we will suffer the consequences. But the good news is that even when we're suffering the consequences of our past heedlessness, 
if we apply ourselves, if we bring this contemplation inwardly, if we, we can see the, how these principles apply outwardly in the world, well, if we bring this contemplation inwardly and we, we start to examine these feelings of obligation that we have, like that I'm going to suffer, that, that I'm hopeless, that I can't develop my meditation, uh, if we slow our minds down, learn what it means to stop judging compulsively, stop taking sides for and against ourselves, both for and against ourselves. Maybe we see the the painful consequences of taking a position against ourselves, but we haven't yet seen the consequences of taking a position for ourselves. Both are a mistake, and both are not an obligation. Both are a choice. But if we've examined the consequence of taking a position for our views and opinions of ourselves and the world, we've examined the consequences of taking a position against ourselves and the world, we see, well, there is something that's observing this whole process. There is awareness. There is this knowingness. What's that? If we have a, feel, if we have a feeling for for falling back into that, into simply being aware, just knowing, trusting in the power of awareness itself, even saying that to ourselves when, when something is challenging us, you know, trusting in awareness, trusting in just knowing, just knowing, whole body mind just knowing, really feels this, really feel like I want to thump this person. Yeah, really feels this way, allowing ourselves to feel it, but not becoming it. We're not denying it, we're not pushing it down, and we're not indulging in it. We're allowing it to burn itself out. It takes a certain strength of awareness and careful consideration so that we're not fooled, we're not pulled into. The the old conditioned reactivity. And more than that, if we stick with it, hopefully one day, we'll have sufficient shift in perception to realize that when there are these moments of upthrust of our unruly nature, then instead of indicating how much of a failure we are, they're actually pointing to the place that we're clinging. When we start to suffer because of our greed, our aversion, our delusion, these things we readily call poisons, from one perspective that's true. But also, they can be the motivator for practice. A moment of anger can be the very thing that opens us right up. That shows us what it means to be big-hearted and open-minded. That shows us we don't have to live in this small, cramped space that's that's not got enough capacity to receive life. Again, the narcissistic personality is all about me and mine, this contracted, collapsed world that's so lonely, so painful, and so unnecessary. But sometimes it's it's needed that we feel that we've reached the point that we can't take it anymore before letting go happens. So reflecting on the choices that we make, the Kama that we create, whether it's you know, Kaya Kama, Waji Kama, Mano Kama, 
action with body, action with speech, action with mind. All of it's got consequences. If the consequences are painful, that's not necessarily a bad sign. In fact, as we all know, the change is happening all the time. Inwardly and outwardly, change is happening all the time around us. But whether that process of change is moving towards integration or disintegration, whether the process of change that we're in the midst of is moving towards integration or disintegration, depends on our willingness to be honest about the consequences of our past choices, our past actions. It depends on the humility to accept our limitations. And it also depends on how daring we are, how daring we are to let go of our fixed views and opinions. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Stop.